Welcome to the QU Athletics Podcast. I'm Will Connerly, your host, joined by first-year head bowling coach Nick Bohannon, graduate assistant Colin Smith, and director of athletic communications, Brendan Seika. Thanks for coming on the show today, coach, and you two as well. First time on the podcast for you two and, of course, Coach Bohannon. But uh, welcome on the podcast. I first just wanted you to introduce yourself. Let them know who you are. Obviously, bowling is something new here at Quincy. Well, thank you for having me on the show. And yes, my name is Nick Bohannon. Um, I'm from St. Joseph, Missouri, originally, via Wichita, Kansas for college, then the Dallas, Texas area, and then Hong Kong, and then here. And I know that we're going to dive deep into those conversations. And where do you want to start? Well, let's start where you first came from. You you talked about you, you've made a lot of different trips in your journey, but talk about your upbringing with the game of bowling. First off, how did you first get into bowling, and um, where did your passion begin for it? So I started when I was six years old. Uh, my parents bowled in league, and I would go and hang out with them instead of being at home with a babysitter. So I grew up in a bowling center and just started bowling. And then my parents got me into a youth league with bumpers and then progressed from there. Always loved bowling. Um, wanted to be a professional bowler as a kid. And so that passion got me to go to school at Wichita State University, which has been a powerhouse for collegiate bowling for several decades. Um, so for me, it was like playing basketball, going to Duke or North Carolina as a walk-on and trying to, to play mm -hmm. there. So I didn't ever make the team, but I was part of the program. I tried out for two years and then decided to pursue um, my academic career a little bit more than I was. So originally I was aerospace engineering, actually, and then I didn't do well in classes. So calculus was not my fan. So that's tough. That's yeah. Tough. <laughs> so that got me, I, I switched degrees, uh, started exercise science and, mm. uh, really wanted to be an athletic trainer, um, coming out of college. And so I wanted to, I had this dream of, cause I knew that there was a niche for professional bowling uh, there, where you could watch a telecast and they would talk about players that didn't had to withdraw from the tournament because of an injury. And so I was like, I could be that guy that goes on the tour with them and takes care of their injuries. But I knew that there would be a big financial hurdle to, to be able to travel with them. So um, talking with the head coach at Wichita State at the time, he was an assistant coach with the U S national team. And so he got me hooked up with the United States bowling Congress mm which is the governing body for the sport. And so basically I just wrote a letter to them telling them that they needed to hire me and I got hired. And Demanded so, the job Yeah, right there. So after spending several years in Wichita, so I had a degree in exercise science and also athletic training and got certified in a couple different, you know, in athletic training and strength and conditioning so I moved down to Texas and was there for eight years, uh, working as a sports performance specialist for the U.S. national team. And so I got to mentor under some great coaches there, specifically Rod Ross, who is the head coach of the national team, um, Brian O'Keefe, who is now the head coach at McKendree. Um, I actually lived with him and his wife for a short time, and 
was at their house every weekend watching football. We had called it Sunday Fun Day. So I have a really close connection with them and also with Kim Kearney, who is the head coach at North Carolina A&T. So. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember we talked about, because I was mentioned to you, Shannon, before how she's one of the best women's bowlers in the world in the PWBA, and that's a great bowling family right there. That's a pretty cool experience to be able to pick up some things from the game from, from some people who know so much about it, you know, kind of early on in your career with coaching. Yeah, so really my my focus was on studying the game, um, especially on a strength and conditioning injury side of it and figuring out what we could do better as, as coaches and athletes to prevent injuries. And then that got me into studying biomechanics. So I ended up going back to school and went to Texas Women's University for a couple of years and did all the coursework for that degree for master's in in biomechanics, but still need to finish my thesis. So there's a lot of work there. <laughs> we're, we're there right now. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So there were a lot of, and, and a lot of different changes in the environment at USBC where I, I changed positions. I added the facility role for facility manager role for their, the training centers they had there. So, cause Brian ended up taking the job at McKendree and that was his position, so they moved me into that position. So that gave me some other roles that kind of took up time for finishing my thesis. But, mm-hmm. but all of that, those opportunities allowed me to uh, get into a position where I could start coaching. Mm-hmm. And so the opportunity to, to coach in Hong Kong came up. So the guy there, his, who was the head coach, was uh, – his name was Bill Hoffman. He was a member of the U.S. national team for a number of years. And then he was working at USBC the same time I was. And then he ended up taking the head coach job there. So then a few years later, he asked me if I would be interested in coming over and helping him coach. So, of course, I said yes, because that's like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be able to go and travel and live somewhere else. So it was a no-brainer. For sure. And I know that I wanted to get Colin and Brennan on the podcast. Obviously, these two guys, um, Hawks, and now you, you being a Hawk and talking about the Hawks right now, what, what do you two have to say um, about the bowling program bring, being brought to campus? And do you have any uh, questions for Nick as well? I mean, I'm excited to, to see what, what it's all about. You know, I don't really know much about bowling from my standpoint. I don't know about you, Colin, if you grew up playing bowling or anything like that but I know like when I was a kid we'd always be at the bowling alley but and I'm not much of a bowler now but like I'm looking forward to you know kind of picking your brain and kind of seeing what it's about well one thing I noticed that you mentioned was the whole aspect of adversity and how you went to Wichita State you competed for a couple years didn't get the chance to make the travel roster so how can you implement those characteristics and those tactics and tools that you use to keep yourself motivated to kind of put that in your athletes that's a good question. Mm. Um, really, it's just going to be about, you know, I know like some of the fear that some of the athletes are going to have about, you know, coming and having to make some physical game changes because um, obviously I wasn't, wasn't good enough skill-wise or knowledge-wise to compete against future PBA or professional bowlers. Um, you know, there were several guys that were on those teams that have won multiple national titles now as a professional. So 
I, I have like an outside view and an inside view at the same time of what it takes to, to be successful. And so that, that kind of shaped how the program is where, you know, I want every athlete that comes through this program to learn as much as they can. And so we've done a lot of classroom times or spent a lot of time in the classroom going over, you know, what is important in the physical game. Um, in that meaning, you know, how they deliver the bowling ball, what, what is the best way to transfer energy from their legs to the bowling ball? Is it going down the, down the lane? And we could get into a bunch of theory about that, about what's the best way to deliver a bowling ball. And then we also talk about how the ball is re- affected as it goes down the lane, because really bowling is just, you're just trying to manage friction because there's the lane is made of a surface that has a, f- a friction on its surface. Uh, and then we put oil on the lane to minimize the friction. And so depending on how much oil is put on the lane and where it's put on the lane dictates how we, how effective we are at bowling and, and what bowling balls we use. Cause obviously not a lot of people know that we're going to take six bowling balls per person to a tournament. So each bowling ball is different either in the, the design of the internal weight. So like they're not bowling balls aren't perfectly, they're not just a solid ball. There's actually a weight block inside of it. And so there's, you can shift what, how much the weight is or where the weight is. And then the surface of the bowling ball is different, meaning that it has different amount of friction on it. So some balls are going to have more friction and, and are going to react to the the friction of the lane sooner. And some are going to react a little bit later. And so that's, getting into how we manipulate how much hook that there is that you see. I have a question about you hit on like the amount of oil in the lane and you know, that kind of thing. And I didn't even realize all that go- that goes into it. Very tactical. But, yeah. And, and obviously your home's casino lanes, like who does the oiling on the lanes? Like, is that something you do? And like at other places, is there like a set, amount of oil you got to do is some places more oily is it like varied (laughs) yeah so when we go like if you were just to go to your normal bowling alley they have what's called a house shot and it has a a determined amount of um oil that's put out um and really it it, so there's gonna be more oil in the middle part of the lane and less oil out towards the gutter so if you're trying to hook the ball if you miss if you're right-handed and you miss left, you have the oil there to provide what's called hold so that it, the ball's not going to overhook hook on you. If you miss to the right where it's drier, there's going to be more friction so the ball will, will hook and recover. So you get a little bit of, of help with your ball motion. So these patterns that we're going to bowl on, the NCAA has five patterns that we can bowl on, and so they're predetermined. And so a tournament that we go to will decide what oil pattern we're going to bowl on. And that's usually going to be based off the characteristics, the characteristics of the bowling center that we're going to be competing in and what type of scoring pace they're wanting. So how high the scores they want. Um, So they vary in length and the volume of oil. And so that just kind of dictates how we're going to play the lanes. And, so, and they're going to be a little bit more difficult to, or a lot more difficult, really, than, than your normal house pattern. So, like, the PBA, 
the professional bowlers, they don't bowl on house patterns. They bowl on what they're called challenge or sport patterns that have a lower scoring rate, but you, they're so good at what they do, they still score at a high rate. Find a way to manipulate that yep. and get it done. Huh. Yeah, Brendan, I like that you mentioned that. And also, you said like the lot that goes into it. I think it's pretty cool to get into some of those nuances of the game like you mentioned bio, you studied so much biomechanics, right? And I've talked about, I mean, if we go to casino lanes, you know, just fling it up there is your average weekend bowler. But really, there's so much mechanics that goes into it, really in any sport, trying to refine your craft in that manner. And I think it's also really cool about the physics of it, of like the strategy. Could you kind of talk about what the biomechanics, is it individualized for each person, how they can most efficiently throw the ball? And also, how do you play into also the in-games coaching? Like, what's your role as a coach in terms of strategy? Hey, we want to go here because the lane configuration is like this. And physics, how do that? All, how do all, all those factors determine what your job is during a meet, during a match, when you guys are on the lanes? Sure. Yeah, that's a really good and in-depth question. So there's a lot of... A lot of answers within that question. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, each bowler throws the ball differently. So there's different variables that that I have to keep track of for each bowler. They're not necessarily in-game, but in practice to know what they can do. So those are going to be – we can change ball speed, and we can change how they release the ball. So and what I mean by that is that we have – basically three components within that there's rev rate, which is how fast the ball is spinning. So we have ball speed, which is basically a linear um, speed on the lane. Yeah. Straight ahead. And then we have rev rate, which is a rotational speed of the ball. All you spin rate guys out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so uh, the other thing is, is talking about is describing the spin of the ball. So, if you look at it with the ball having two axes, so one going through the horizontal, like the equator, so mm -hmm. um, so basically where on that on that line, on the horizontal plane, the, the ball is spinning. Is it spinning like more like a roll? So is it parallel, or you know, going spinning in the same direction that it's going down the lane, or is it spinning perpendicular? So that um, so basically, if it's spinning perpendicular to where it's going, that means it has more hook potential. Mm -hmm. And if it's spinning in the same direction, it's basically already in a roll, so it's not going to hook very much. So it's, there's not going to be much left to right mm -hmm. change in direction. And then also there's within that vertical axis, so somewhat it could be spinning like like this or like this. So well, it could be spinning like a ball rolling or it could be spinning more like a top. And that's going to affect just how much hook there is. So a ball that's spinning like a top isn't going to have the opportunity to hook as much as a ball that's rolling on a more horizontal plane. Yeah. I know it's going to be hard for our listeners to No, that, that does make sense how you try to monitor what the ball is doing, right? But my question also is, how do you is, – is that a big mechanical thing? Is it you shift w the way you release it and it spins differently? Differently, Like what factors go into ways that the spin can be affected besides the ball, like as you mentioned, is the mechanics another thing or are there other things um, like the 
facility you're at that can also affect the way that the ball moves as it's approaching the pins. Yeah, and so I guess a good analogy would be like like with pitching. So you have the different pitches, and the ball is going to be spinning on different axes mm-hmm. for for a breaking ball versus a a two seam or a four seam or yeah. fastball. And so those are the same thing. So yeah, the really so good bowlers that are talented and have a high skill level, they can change a lot of those variables and they can do it on a whim. So they can change speed or they could change the rotation or the rev rate, or they could shoot one at a time or they can change multiple, um, lower skill level players may only be able to change one of them. And so I have to know kind of what they are so we can get by with, with not being able to make all those changes through equipment. So through the different bowling balls, we can make those changes. And so there's, there's a paradigm or, you know, like which causes which, but usually it's all about matching up to the amount of hook. So usually bowlers that have low ball speed will have a higher amount of, of axis rotation. So it'll, it'll spin differently than someone with high ball speed because you're trying to get the ball to hook. Mm-hmm. And so, but the question would be, is this, the way that the ball is spinning a byproduct of how much speed they have, or do they have much, or is it that the speed is dictated by the way it spins? So that's what I kind of have to figure out and what we're trying to prove. So in practice, what we're doing is trying to get, you know, a little bit better at their ball speed and a little bit better at their release so that it's like a combined effort to get better with all of their skills. So we're not attacking just one thing. We're trying to get better at everything. So, and a lot of that in training is just trying to get uh, the the synchroni- synchronization and timing of their feet with their arm swing to match up better. Um, usually, especially with women, typically have a really late swing, so that they they get the ball into their swing a lot later than guys do, um, in order to try and um, to create some more leverage. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just trying to get them to use their legs a little bit more and be more more full body in, instead of just using their arms to bowl. I mean, we they obviously they're going to be using their legs because they're walking through their approach, but we want to be able to generate power more. Yeah. yeah. You got to be strong. Yeah. Got to. got to. And so as you continue to develop and bring individuals in, explain your recruiting process and what it's like to go out and go find a player and convince them, like, hey, this is the place where you need to be here at Quincy University. Yeah, so right now it, it is a challenge because um, we're just not known nationally yet. Uh, so we, we got some good girls in right now. Uh, we have a couple more coming in at semester that they are going to be really talented as well. And so we have a good base. And as long as we, we just got to go out right now and I'm just working on getting them to be consistent right now, more importantly than, than fixing, you know, any – you know, huge air that might take a little bit longer. So we're just trying to get consistent, and that's going to help us just – we can just go out to competition and show consistent results. I think it will help us to build our name because um, I think we could easily if, – if things fell, the dominoes fell properly, we should, shouldn't have any problem finishing in the middle of the pack for nationally. I don't I, – 
I believe because of the talent that we have now just help bring in some better girls, not necessarily better girls, but more, more girls that can help us get better. That'd be a great start for you coming in and finally mm-hmm. open up and being the open up play here. Yeah. I mean, really we just, we just got to get out of the lanes and be able to compete. Um, so we're starting to looking to start hopefully the 22nd of January being our first competition, which will be at the university of Maryville or Maryville university. Yeah. MU, MU for <laughs> yeah, sure. MU, sorry. Uh, so they're hosting the first event that we'll go to. Um, and then we have several other events that between then and the end of March, uh, to, that we're looking to go to, um, you know, we're still, um, trying to hear how things are going to play out with, with COVID, um, because bowling centers are limited in the number of teams that they can can hold, and so we're we're on the the waiting list for a few of those events. Yeah, I saw that um, McKendry is pretty you know pretty well known as far as D two as for their bowling, and I think they held a, a tournament last week or the week before. And yeah, just this past weekend they did. Yeah, and that was kind of like one of the first one of the first events of the year, right? Yep. Yeah, and, and Maryville actually won that. I think the okay. I think McKendry came in second or third. Were so. you surprised to see that? You know, McKendrick coming second like that, or second or third? I, I would expect them to be at the top. Um, I don't. I was surprised, but not surprised also with Maryville because I know that that they have a good coach and they they were pretty good last year too. They they were in the top twenty, so it's not a huge surprise. Um, I know that their coach bowled at McKendrick, so she's going to be well trained as well, um, both as a player and a coach. So, so yeah, we're definitely in a tough conference with the GLBC. Um, it's the, like in other sports, it's the best conference D2-wise in the country. And with bowling, we're going up against D1, D2, and D3. Um, so, and I, based off of RPI, last year, the GLBC was number three nationally. So, and that's across D1, D2. Yeah, so the, wow. the top conference was the Southland Conference, which is D1. So that has... You know, Vanderbilt that has won like three or four national championships. Stephen F. Austin has won two. Um, Sam Houston State, which is one one of them. And then, you know, Arkansas State, which is in, uh, always in the top ten as well. So they're a very good conference. And then the next conference was the an East Coast Conference. I don't remember if it was the Northeast Conference or – I think that's what it was. That general area. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, though, for you all because if I'm a player and I'm a competitor, I want to go to the best and go to a place where I can compete against the best because mm-hmm. all that will do for me in my mindset mm-hmm. is that elevates me to the next level. Yeah. pushes me to be better. Yeah, and that's one of the, the big recruiting strengths that I have right now is that though, since we're in the conference with McKendry, I can be like, you can either go in McKendry and sit for a couple of years and watch your teammates bowl good or you can come here and help us beat them. Mm-hmm. And can come here and have a chance to compete right away. So that that definitely helps. And then, you know, we have Central Missouri in our conference for bowling. They're always in the top ten, it seems like as well. They've they've had the unfortunate unfortunate um, situation of finishing second in several national championships. So so they're right there. You yeah, know, they're, 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 they're the good at like every sport usually <laughs> yeah, too. Knocking Central on that Missouri. door. But you talk about the first year. Um, having the goal finishing in that top half. One thing that I was interested in is, as a bowling coach, how much 
coaching, is it really like I know I asked you earlier about how you're adjusting in game? Is there really not a lot of in game coaching? Is it more in practice going over strategy, or do you still have a lot of responsibility? In game, because I know with football, hey, are we going to call the timeout? What play are we going to run? But for bowling, do the, you kind of just have to trust the athletes and do what they do and all that preparation you've done throughout the weeks and months of offseason and then training in preparation before the match? Yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of in-game coaching. So a lot of our practice in practice right now is you know doing a lot of technique, and then we'll get into strategy, which I mean we've had classes about it, but we'll do some applied stuff on the lanes where, yeah, we're looking at just teaching them how to, to watch their ball go down the lane and being able to make adjustments off of that. So, you know, there's, there are coaches that are very hands-on in competition. So, like, a lot of the athletes on their teams don't make any decisions. The coach makes all the decisions for all the moves. So, like, in-game adjustments would be, you know, moving – what our target is, uh, where we're sliding. So that's going to change our launch angle. And so the angle of how many boards we're going to cover. So there's 39 boards on a lane. Uh, so like you might lay the ball down on board 20. It'll be at board 15 at the arrows. And then the farthest right it'll get might be 10. And then we've got to hook it back to the board 17 where the pocket is. I know I know that's getting technical, but but yeah, Why we bring you on the show. Yeah, and so <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I mean, the, the lane is sixty feet in length, and it's about forty inches wide. So it's seventeen times longer than it is wide, and so we're as a holistic view, it doesn't really hook that much, but it looks like it does based off of our perspectives. But but it's just like baseball; we're trying to to hit a small area 60 feet away. Um, yeah, exactly which, like, exactly. Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah, we're trying, plus we're trying to get a certain type of roll or motion as it's going through the pins. And so, yeah, that's where all of our adjustments of left to right with our feet and eyes and then also the equipment. So matching up what, what balls we're going to use and when we're going to use them. So that's where I come in. But ideally, I will get the players set up in – in our practice sessions that they have a good idea of what their moves are going to be before we get to competition. So they'll kind of know what to expect, but at the same time, we don't know what to expect until we get there. So just trying to prepare them for everything so that we can have some conversations in game about what we see and make some adjustments and that they're on board hundred percent because it's their idea as well as much as mine, because we just have practiced it that much. So that, that's the ideal situation. So early on, I'll be more hands-on with decisions. Um, but hopefully by the end of the season, we'll be comfortable enough that it'll be like a catcher make, uh, calling their own game. I had a question about kind of the COVID stuff and not knowing what really to expect. But um, how many, you know, are on you, that you can bring to a meet? Um, you have a set number. Obviously, you can probably travel or actually bowl in the event but then with the COVID stuff if you know you had some couple people go down or a person go down I don't know if they're going to be letting like some kind of reserve list or like you could have like a couple extra people on board just in case like have you heard anything about that well well for us it's a different situation than other teams because so we need five that can compete so there's a legal lineup is five and 
most tournaments are allowing eight or ten bowlers, but we have four right now, and we'll have two more. So all six are going to be traveling, and so we will be in a bad situation if we with <laughs> <laughs> COVID happens. Yeah. Man. I know you talked about earlier, you've been around, you've seen a great, great programs before in general. And Colin even mentioned, hey, you've taken some things from that, from your experience, and you install it into your program. You've seen what it takes to be very successful at a high level. I was wondering, what's your ultimate goal for the Quincy University bowling program? Where do you want to take it? I know it's a struggle. We've talked to a lot of first-year coaches on this podcast. I mean, the first year, obviously, is just a building block for more things to come. But what's that ultimate goal for this program? Well, I mean, the first meeting that we had as a team was our ultimate goal for for them in this program. And the leader of our program was definitely that she wants to win a national championship. So, or at least be able to compete for it. So that's our ultimate goal is by year four is – so her their senior year is to be in the in contention for a national championship. That's awesome. Yeah, and and that's actually where I want to be too as a coach. Um, I think I think we can. I definitely believe we can do that. And I think if we get the right girls in with that mentality that they want to come in and and compete, then that's and work hard. I think we can easily get there to the to the point where we. Or can make the national tournament. So I think we're this I think this is the first year that they're going to 16 teams. It was eight teams. And so that makes it a little bit easier um to hopefully make the, the tournament. Yeah, Obviously it's still it's still a challenge, but um yeah, hopefully being able to make that 16 because then anything can happen with with the formats um I've seen teams beat powerhouses before at at the collegiate level and at the world level. So it, anything's happened once once you start throwing the ball down the lane. How I'm, many programs are in total in NCAA? They're upper 80s. Okay, and then so you're getting the six, top 16 out of those 80s. Yeah. Compared to eight. That's yeah. a big, that's a huge difference. And also yeah, percentage jump. Yeah. But you talk about other programs; they can only they can bring ten, eight to ten. You have six on your. You're gonna have six on your team. Is there a goal for number of? Play, is there an ideal number? Like, is it we want fifteen players and we can only bring five, so it, it creates more internal competition? Like, what do some other established programs have in terms of number of bowlers they have on their team? Because every team carries more usually than they travel. Because hey, you don't have a guaranteed travel spot type thing. Is that something the same with bowling? Yeah, and definitely it depends on if it's a Division One or Division Two program, because mm-hmm. just like other other sports, I believe Division One is carrying a little bit smaller rosters, so they're only going to have ten, maybe twelve, in their full roster, where a lot of Division Two programs are carrying around twenty four. So that's where we're going to try and get to is the twenty to twenty four range. Hopefully, that'll be around year four that we can can get to there uh but like mckendry they have a large roster so they also have a it's called a junior varsity team but they so so bowling is confusing because there's the ncaa side and then there's also the usbc side Mm -hmm. 
So our guys program will compete on the USBC side. So they have a completely different set of rules and about lane patterns and everything. So that's hard to keep up with as a coach. It, it <laughs> is. And our, our girls can compete on USBC, but it's limited. So like anytime that we compete, our, our girls compete, regardless if they're competing NCAA or USBC, it counts towards their limited number of competition days uh, for NCAA. So like a program like McKendree, since they're large, their women, their junior varsity program will compete on the same days as their NCAA or varsity program so that they don't use up all of their competition days. And so obviously that, that requires more coaches on staff to be able to, to do that because you're going to be at two or three different locations. So like the NCAA oh. event might be in uh, – they might be like at Vanderbilt's competition – and the USBC will be in, I don't know, like somewhere in Wisconsin or somewhere. <laughs> it, it just counts as various, one day, though. Yeah. Sites. yeah. So that's what, yeah. but it wouldn't matter for the men's and women's here as much. Yeah. Not, unless not, you got to that number. Yeah. Yeah. Not until we got to having a, a, a varsity okay. and a university team. But yeah, so they have, they have challenges that because of having a large roster, they have to manipulate that. So that, that but that kind of helps them with their large roster is still getting girls the opportunity to compete so they can compete in different events as long as they're on the same competition days. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But it yeah, definitely makes it confusing because there's also NAIA that has their own stuff, but they can compete in USBC club events as well. So managing that and trying to get – so there's definitely – on the girls' side, there's definitely girls that definitely want – to only bowl NCAA. There's other girls that don't care. And then there's girls that don't know what they want to do and they don't know the necessarily the difference because I'll get asked all the time uh, when our guys team is going to become NAIA. I'm like, well, that's not going to happen because our the NAIA is another sports organization like the NCAA. So we can't have split. Two different organizations yeah, within one group. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a lot. So, but I wonder, though, because, you know, men's volleyball is on the MIVA. That's D1. So I don't know what yeah. the difference – I mean, NAI, too, it's like MIVA is just kind of s- like a separate But for conference. women's bowling, it's NCAA. But then you say the men's bowling is the – USBC. USBC. Yeah. But yeah, but the men's, but that is still NCAA probably. Yeah. But, but, the, the, but there is women's bowling that's not NCAA. Yeah. So that's where it gets – that's getting, where the confusion fuzzy. comes. We're getting yeah. a little tricky here. Yeah. <laughs> so – Quick question. So as we talk with other coaches about establishing an environment and culture, do you have like a set of core values or do you have a phrase or, or a term that you like to use to instill encouragement in your athletes as of right now? I don't yet. That's a, uh, basically just trying to ask, ask them to work harder and get better every day, get a little bit better at something every day. And I guess that's better. the main thing. That's that a good I place have. to start. That's yeah. a good place to start. That's what we all try to do. I mean, I, get better I, every day. And you can't really have, I mean, you could, ideally you want to have a culture, but like when you're a first year program, you got to kind of do that like as the players are in the program, you know, you got mostly first year bowlers and collegiate bowlers. I mean, you're starting from scratch literally. So like, I understand your question, but like, I feel like, that would be hard to do right off the bat. Like this, like, oh, yeah. This is how – it's, it's a just got to be a process. It's a blank canvas. You know? yeah. So it the is. players can kind of create what they want. 
Yeah, and that's what I tried to get some of the girls to come in and and do was, you know, they can build this program for themselves. I mean, we are trying to do, you know, be inclusive with mindfulness and and treating everyone with respect on the team, which it seems like they have a good bonding with each other because I know they hang out with each other outside of practice. I mean, with only – Four of them. It's it's easier to do. Right. Yeah. Keep that, that close knit group. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a family feel at, at the university, and so just continuing that feel into into the program isn't that that difficult to do. Yeah. That's no. a good. That's a good starting point, though. I feel. Yeah, and, family atmosphere. And I'd also like to take this time to give a shout out to Casino Lanes because they have been extremely helpful for us. Um, being able to, they just give us the run of the place, and uh, they gave me keys to the to the <laughs> facility, so That's we awesome. can come in and practice whenever suits us. And they gave us places for store equipment, and. They've been a great partnership to have. Yeah, that's a nice home to have. When I know you said a lot of the all the meets this year on the road, but when do you expect um, people to come in there and be able to get rowdy for the Hawks um, in the future? Yeah, we would. I'd love to be able to host an event. It, it would be a lot of out of work, um, but at minimum, I would like to be able to do some sort of public scrimmage with Culver Stockton. Uh, they have a men's and women's program, and, and I know that we can do some scrimmages on the women's side, and when we get the men's team up and running next year, uh, that would be a great local boost for the community to be able to do. But, yeah, it would be great to, in, in a couple of years to be able to host a tournament. The hard thing is that there's so many tournaments that it – because every competition is a tournament, and so every weekend there's a – at least five competitions going on. So to be able to add one and still get a uh, good competition to come here. But yeah. once we get our a name established, it'll be a little bit easier. Yeah, once Quincy's on the map. Yep. Winning titles. It's up from there. Absolutely. From there. And then there. I know that we are hosting the conference tournament sometime in the future. So there we go. So there's seven, there's seven, right now there's seven teams in our conference. So, that would be in seven years. <laughs> just, just a little. We'll start preparing. Yeah, yeah. Start. we'll put that on. Never the, too early. Uh, put that on the QU Hawks. Seven years. Yeah, so we got you guys set up with your stats yeah. and all your knowledge, so you can sound sure. professional. Yeah. Speaking we'll, of stats, I don't, so like, what what are some things that you keep track of for bowlers? You know, you, obviously the pin count. You know, you bowl a three hundred, perfect three hundred. But like, what are some smaller nuances that that you look for as a coach and what your players do. Yeah, so a lot of what uh, a lot of coaches keep track of are strike percentage, mm-hmm. which is huge because we can't you can't get a 300 game without striking. So and also double percentage, which is a double is two strikes in a row. And so you can't bowl a 300 game without doubles either. So those why those are important. Um, the other thing is fill percentage, which is a combination of spare percentage, which is also important, and strike percentage. So I guess I need to get into our format a little bit. So we have basically two formats that we'll use. One is five-person team. So that means that each person bowls an entire game and with five people on the team. So it's a total of those five scores for one team game. And that's basically just traditional bowling. Then there's also baker bowling, 
So and you told me about this before. Yeah, so we'll have Baker is you take the five girls in the lineup. The first one will bowl frame one and and six. Then the next bowler will bowl frames two and seven, three and eight, four and nine, and five and ten. So you get one score, one ten frame score for a game. So mm. So that's where the fill percentage really comes in because you, you only have two frames per game. So what percentage of those frames are you filling with a strike or a spare? So those are used a lot uh, in using for like nominations for player of the week or t- okay. tournament winner. Um, I break it down a little bit further as well. Um, the girls made fun of me because – Part of my job when I was with the U.S. team was I was the stat guy. So oh, okay. I'm really into analytics. And so we would break it down. Um, you can break it down multiple ways. So, like, whether you're hitting the pocket or not is important. But with spares, um, you can just do generic. If you make it or miss it, then there's spares that are makeable or not makeable. Like, for example, like splits, like the 710 split is not considered a makeable spare. So we can break down it in multiple ways. So I basically have seven categories of spares. So like the first category are single pins. So there's only one pin left. Level two has two pins or three pin. They're easier combinations. So like level one, you should make 90% of the time or more. Level two is 85%. And then level three is 75 and it goes down. Wow. So like, like level six, you should only you could probably only make it about 50% of the time. And that's if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then like, but like the last category, level seven, it's the it, rarity. That's the, that happens like a batting average, yeah, like 300. That, <laughs> yeah. 300 that's what it, right? that's what it would be. But I actually put down 85% on it oh, wow. and they were like, what? And it's because, you know, if you have two pins on the left side and one pin on the other for a split, I want you to get these two 85% of the time okay. so that we're keeping pace with the score. So we're not giving pins away. Yeah. And so that's how I break it down. And they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. There's it, levels to it for yeah, sure. Yeah, levels to it for sure. I was totally it, unaware of how much goes into it. And, yeah, yeah, so it complicates it. But when you're trying to get better at certain areas, it makes it a lot easier because we can – we can just focus on this area. Let's get ten percent better at this area. Mm-hmm. It's quantifiable. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and now Sake is aware, so I'm glad we got <laughs> we got something going on yeah. the podcast today. So now That's you guys, cool. when you're doing your our live stream or something for at a competition, you can be you can sound really smart and yeah. blow oh, yeah. people's minds. And we probably could even mic you up during the thing to see what you're thinking. I don't know if you want to know that sometimes. <laughs> maybe, maybe in, <laughs> maybe sometimes in 2027. 2027. The conference we, tournament comes. We'll send out the broadcast ways. schedule for that, 2027. Yes, but, that sounds good. <laughs> that'll be good. But appreciate you coming on today. It's, it's been fun um, to kind of chop it up about bowling on campus and obviously starting a program from the ground up. And it seems like you're bringing in some great bowlers coming at semester trying to compete, and they want some rings. So, Let's let's go out and compete for it. We're, we we got a uh, you got our full support and I appreciate Brandon Colin and obviously Coach for coming on today. It's it's been fun and so I appreciate all your time and uh, best of luck uh, this season to you and your program.